Hi, I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you're tuned in to New World Next Week. And I am James Evan Pilato from MediaMonarchy.com. Importations of COVID cases no longer influence the evolution of the pandemic. We've got that story, plus the greenwashing machine is set on stumble dry. But first, seismologists suspect explosions damaged undersea pipelines that carry Russian gas. Get our terms straight. Nord Stream refers to two double offshore natural gas pipelines in Europe running under the Baltic Sea from Russia to Germany. And we take it from Zero Hedge, who have been updating the story as this is a developing story, even as we come to you. EU chief calls Nord Stream attack sabotage, warns of strongest possible response. The European Commission chief, Ursula von der Leyen, confirmed the Nord Stream pipeline system leaks were caused by sabotage and warned of the strongest possible response should active German energy infrastructure be attacked. Earlier, Danish Prime Minister Fredriksson described the three separate leaks on NS1 and 2 as deliberate acts, adding it's hard to imagine that it's accidental. On Monday, Swedish seismologists reported the detection of underwater explosions, shortly after which large patches of roiling gas could be seen on the surface in that area. As rumors also swirl over who's responsible for the incident, one message it sent was clear. Vital systems are vulnerable to attack. As the New York Times reports, in response, Denmark and Norway, they're beefing up their security around their energy infrastructure. Norway, now Europe's most important producer of gas and oil, called for increased vigilance by all operators and vessel owners. In a statement, Norway's energy minister cited reports of increased drone activity around its coast and said that much of what he had learned of the Nord Stream incidents indicates acts of sabotage. Meanwhile, Poland's former defense minister tweeted, Thank you, USA, with a picture of the roiling, bubbling gas up from the sea that I just mentioned. Poland's prime minister, meanwhile, laid the blame, of course, on Russia for targeting the pipeline, suggesting the attack was an attempt to escalate the Ukraine conflict, saying, quote, We do not know the details of what happened yet, but we can clearly see that it's an act of sabotage, an act that probably marks the next stage in the escalation of this situation in Ukraine. Der Spiegel said the CIA recently warned Berlin about increasing signs of a possible planned attack on the Nord Stream pipeline system. Spiegel reported, citing unnamed sources, that the CIA tipped off Berlin in the summer about possible attacks on NS1 and NS2. And then another obvious warning sign back in February, where at a press conference, Biden said, if Russia invades, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We will bring an end to it. Reporter says, how will you do that exactly, since the project's within Germany's control? Biden says, I promise you, we will be able to do it. That's the same guy recently seen at another press conference looking for a dead congresswoman, so who knows what's going on, James? Good Lord. Meanwhile, a giant hurricane over here is serving up a nice, I don't know, distraction for this story, James? Yeah, it is a crazy story, and one of potentially incredible importance, considering um, the attribution for this action could have very real geopolitical consequences. So in order to understand the context of this and the real sort of general background of what's happening here, I will direct people back to an article that I wrote back in July of 2017 on U.S. battles Russia over EU, where I was writing about the latest round of uh, American sanctions against Moscow at that time, which happened to include 
uh, sanctions specifically against entities related to special Russian crude oil projects, which, even at that time, I interpreted to mean anyone associated with Nord Stream 2. Nord Stream 2 has been in the crosshairs of the U.S. specifically for many years now because it does represent that tie, that literal physical tie between Russia and the EU, Germany specifically, that uh, threatens U.S. hegemony over the European um, continent. So uh, that has been sort of the background to this. This is not the first time that they've talked about stopping Nord Stream 2. Um, so whatever the dissembler in chief was muttering about there in that press conference, it certainly does look creepy in retrospect, but he wasn't the only one. There was also Victoria Newland who uttered almost the exact same threat, which I'll, uh, I'll get to in a moment, but let's set the, the immediate context for this. Just, uh, uh 10 days ago, uh, a little over a week ago, Putin says Russia's not responsible for the EU's energy crisis. It just needs to push the button on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to get more natural gas. So Putin literally just just over a week ago saying, hey guys, there is no real crisis going on here. All you got to do is let Nord Stream 2 go and 55 billion cubic meters of gas per year are on like that. That's That was the big carrot that he was dangling uh, as a potential, the only potential leverage he had for some sort of let's let's not go to total war over this. His way of saying it is, hey guys, as soon as you want the gas, it's yours. Um, but not anymore. Boom. Um, so for more on that, uh, I'll direct people to antiempire.com. Nord Stream explosion removes the chance of separate German-Russian peace which notes specifically that by destroying Nord Stream, the mystery explosions have removed Russian ability to make that offer of peace and have removed Russian leverage with Germany. And uh, they have the clip, again, not only of Biden promising that they will be able to take care of Nord Stream 2, but also Victoria Newland. If Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward January 28th, 2022. So that threat has been there specifically on the table all of this year. If people really want to get a deep dive into the nitty-gritty of the details of this, I will direct them to a, a very thorough post on moonofalabama.org, Who Done It? Facts Related to the Sabotage Attack on the Nord Stream Pipelines that gets into a lot of different pieces of this puzzle, including the protests that were reportedly taking place on September 26th, so just a couple of days before this explosion, uh, thousands of people in Germany protesting against Olaf Scholz's, Chancellor Scholz's policy and the explosion of energy and gas prices and demanding an end to sanctions on Russia and specifically the reopening of Nord Stream 2. So Germans were literally protesting on the streets about this just the other day, but well, that ain't an option anymore, is it? Um, but more to the point, there's specific things in this article of um, looking at the precise location of this, comparing it to um, some of the Balt Ops by NATO in that region, the type of um, UUV underwater, whatever that stands for, vehicles, things that they, mine hunting UVs that they had deployed, deployed in that area. Um, tracking it with uh, helicopters and uh, different aircraft by tail number and stuff. There's there's a lot of detail in here, but long story short, there's a lot of reasons to suspect that this was some sort of American slash NATO military operation. 
Um, pulling out for the bigger perspective on this, you have offguardian.org, Kit Knightley writing, um, forget the blame game, Nord Stream sabotage is about the Great Reset and nothing else. And so his point in this is essentially maybe the Americans blew it up, maybe the Russians blew it up, maybe someone else blew it up, or maybe nobody blew it up, and the entire story is a fabrication. Whatever the truth may be, the end result remains the same. Gas and electricity will be more expensive. There will be a huge push to turn to renewables, talk about climate catastrophe, and maybe even energy rationing and or blackouts. People will freeze, starve, and probably die this winter. That has always been part of the plan. What reason is there to think that this attack is anything but more of the same? And I will disagree with Kit. I think that the actual attribution of whatever happened here is important because it will have geopolitical ramifications and potential, potential larger war ramifications. But I think the underlying point that he's making there is is an important one, that yes, this is feeding into that that entire narrative right now of, oh, guys, there's not enough gas, all of the, the rationing, oh, we're going to have to transition off of this system. And on that note, I specifically wrote just uh, a week or so ago about the green energy scam. It is a scam. It isn't meant to work. It is meant to control the population. So I will direct people to that article if they haven't read it yet. That's a data dump of information. It will all be in the show notes. But long story short, I think something very significant just took place here. And the threat then, yeah, of another dark, dark winter again. James, should maybe just take one moment and look back and note that it is mainstream, mainline, Tucker Carlson kind of discussions that the president blew this thing up. I mean, anytime I think that becomes a part of the mainstream kind of conversation that false flags have been flying for a long, long time and that governments and criminal elements of their private contractors and all that, this happens. And they do it again and again and again. So, you know, take one moment to kind of, you know... <laughs> Note that 9-11 truthers really, really wrecked the planet in a really awesome way. James, and with those speculations, I mean, this is basically the crew that unleashed Stuxnet on Iranian nuke plants. They don't care about the ramifications. Hey, let's let loose a bunch of viruses against our enemies and, you know, just see what happens. Our second story on this New World Next Week episode 496, Arrive Can app finally scrapped in Canada from Activist Post and the Counter Signal. The Canadian Liberal government has finally scrapped the Arrive Can app, as well as mask and quarantine requirements for anyone traveling by plane or train. The results of border tests carried out at the Public Health Agency of Canada over the past months have indicated that importations of COVID cases and its variant no longer influence in a significant way the evolution of the pandemic in Canada, said Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos. Duclos further stated that COVID infections and hospitalizations largely explained by the domestic transmission of the virus as of October 1st unvaccinated individuals will no longer be required to quarantine for 14 days upon entering Canada. No one will have to use the invasive Arrive Can app when traveling, and mask mandates are now scrapped while traveling on planes and trains. Plans and trains, I believe it says in this article. Yeah. The government left the door open to reinstate 
travel restrictions. They say they always leave the little back door open. We can turn all of this back on with a flip of a switch because we've already set up the infrastructure and you've already shown yourselves to be supplicants that'll go along with it for whatever reason. The government left the door open to reinstate travel restrictions should they be required in the future to protect Canadians from the importation of new variants of concern or other emerging public health threats like climate change or money pox shingle vades. ArriveCan was originally created for the purposes of COVID-19, but it has technological capacity beyond that to really shrink the amount of time that's required when you're getting screened at the border, Public Safety Minister Marco Mendocino said only months ago. So that's the vision. It is really to utilize the platform to decrease the amount of time so officers can really focus on the problem areas, like if you're trying to smuggle a gun or trying to smuggle drugs. Just this past Sunday, the app caused delays at the border for American emergency support crews who were crossing to help with hurricane relief efforts. James, the irony is just disgusting and endless. It absolutely is. So, congratulations to all of my Canadian countrymen. Yes, yes, finally, this stupidity has passed, or has it? Anyway, so, yes... Crack a uh, a can or pour yourself a pint of your favorite uh, local brew. That was Big Rock back when I lived in Calgary 20 years ago. Anyway, whatever you're drinking these days. Not Molson, right? Um, and enjoy. And when you're done with that celebration, and uh, hey, maybe I'll be able to join you for it. Um, it's still time to get back to work because as exactly as you know, James... There, there is kind of a deeper level to this. And if we lose sight of that, people are going to run the risk of essentially normalizing what just happened. Because, yeah, if... Oh, we, okay, we'll, we'll let you guys travel now, okay? Oh, we'll, 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 we'll scrap that. Don't worry. Unless we need it again. No, 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 no. We cannot let them have that loophole because that is exactly, as I've been saying, that's exactly what the last couple of years of craziness has been about. Setting the, setting the precedent, establishing the infrastructure for the biosecurity state. So on that note, hats off to the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, jccf.ca. They had a press release just the other day. Justice Center legal action will continue against ArriveCan, um, which they note they have an open case. Uh, they, they have 11 applicants who were ordered to quarantine or were fined for uh, refusing to use the ArriveCan app. And so they have pending um, uh, a case against the government over that. They are not dropping the case just because ArriveCan has been scrapped. They're going to continue to prosecute that case as they should, because yes, we cannot allow the legal precedent for this to stand so that they can flip that back on. So I hope people will be following that. And I hope, uh, well, anyway, more power to JCCF's elbow. I hope that they're successful. I'm not exactly putting all, pinning all my hope on the uh, uh, Canadian judiciary. But anyway, I think that type of action is needed to continue to press this even after the dropping of these these particular um, restrictions. Um, more good news on the Canadian pushback front. We talked a little while ago about Saskatchewan kind of pushing back against the, the federal government. Well, now it's Alberta's turn. Um, this from the counter signal just the other day. Breaking, uh, Kenny, Jason Kenny, uh, commands Alberta RCMT, RCMP to ignore Trudeau's gun laws. 
talking about the gun restrictions that uh, the Trudeau government has put into place, um, banning 1,500 models of different firearms, including AR-15s and other things. That happened a couple of years ago. They gave a two-year grace period. Now they're going to start using employing RCMP to try to actually confiscate guns and things like this. And the Alberta government has said, we're not going to cooperate with you in any way on this. Um, we're not going to de devote a single penny of Alberta government money towards this. Um, so that's to the good. But to immediately snatch defeat from the jaws of that victory, I will just remind people that Jason Kenney is a literal Bilderberger. So, um, sorry, I got to translate to current thing 2022. Uh, he's got a profile on the World Economic Forum page. There you go. So, yeah, I'm not, uh, it's not that Jason Kenney is going to save you from this. He's on his way out the door anyway. He's going to, about to be replaced as Premier of Alberta. So, this may be a token gesture. But, at the very least, what it represents is, in order to signal your conservative bona fide political credentials, you have to, what, what, what do the people want? Oh, they want me to push back against the federal government on these gun laws. So the, the impetus is right. It may be done for nefarious political reasons, but the impetus is right. And that is what the people actually do want. So that's a good thing. And apparently it's spreading. Um, th this just uh, in, in the past 24 hours. Like Alberta, Saskatchewan tells RCMP to ignore Ottawa's request to confiscate firearms. So good. Some pushback from the Western provinces, as it should be, against those damn Ottawa mucky mucks. Yay, good. Okay, so that, that seems about right. But again, it's what the people are pushing, more so than what politicians are going to do, that I think is the important thing here. And on again, on this Arrive Can front, yay, awesome, but do not let them get away with this. Do not let them cement this into precedent. It's got me thinking, James, as, uh, you know, the the Halloween month is approaching. This loophole in this ruling we're talking about here is kind of like the monster at the end of the movie opening its eyes for a jump scare before it rolls to credits. It's got that little bit of you should still be afraid that this thing isn't dead and it's going to come back in some horrible sequel. Uh, I've got some other kind of, you know, like you said, not unmitigated good news, kind of lamer good news. Judge orders NYPD union members fired over vax mandate reinstated and federal judge strikes down Head Start school mask and vaccine mandate. So yay, cops and teachers, my favorite. But there's, here's a good one, James. Japan to ease COVID border restrictions for foreign travelers. I mean, they already got my retinas from coming to hang out with you in 2019, but I don't know. My social carbon credit score is probably pretty wrecked, though. Which brings us to our third and final story. Following up on something we just talked about last month, former Bank of England Governor Carney's Net Zero Asset Alliance crumbling. Taking this from What's Up With That, members are ditching former Bank of England Governor Mark Carney's Zero Net Asset Alliance amidst claims of greenwashing and, of course, the more important fears of legal exposure. Pension fund CBUS and Australian pensions firm Bundespensionskasse have become the first institutions to leave a financial alliance on tackling climate change spearheaded by former Bank of England Governor Mark Carney. Australia's CBUS, CBUS, left the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance recently to focus on internal climate change activities while Bundespensionkasse exited the Paris-aligned Asset Owners Group last month. 
the coalitions form part of the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, GFANS, launched with much fanfare last year. Investors increasingly impatient with evidence of potential greenwashing amid signs net zero pledges made by some members of the financial industry are not credible, said former U.S. Vice President Al Gore. The fear of legal vulnerability is likely the real obstacle to progress for Carney's net zero group. Investment managers have a fiduciary duty to protect the value of the client's investments. You have to make profit for the board. That is their job. And Prime Minister Liz Truss's open support for fracking has massively increased the risk for green investors. Can't trust it. Oh, yeah. That's all these other massive events, James, that have been going on. The UK has another new prime minister. So, yes, I looked. This was just last month. We were talking about this, James, on the episode that also featured Trudeau's uh, nitrogen sleuths. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. It's good that this is continuing. Um, it's kind of it, funny in a sense. Um, so more of this story we could pick up from Nasdaq.com, which had this up about a week or so ago. Uh, major U.S. banks threatened to leave Mark Carney's Climate Alliance. Talking about um, major Wall Street banks have threatened to leave United Nations Climate Envoy Mark Carney's Financial Alliance over legal risks. The Financial Times reported on Wednesday, citing several people involved in internal talks. And it noted that Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, and Bank of America are among the U.S. banks that are weighing an exit as they fear being sued over the alliance's stringent decarbonization commitments, the report said, adding that European banks, including Santander, have also expressed misgivings. And it goes on to say some members of the alliance have recently said that they felt feel blindsided by tougher U.N. climate uh, criteria and are worried about the legal risks of participation. Well, <laughs> it's almost like a, hey, guys, I thought we were joking about all this stuff, right? Like, it's just, we're not going to do this, right? Oh, wait, there you were, you were actually going to do it? And illegal restrictions? Oh, no. So, oh, oh, the poor, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, banks, you know, weep for them, Argentina. And yeah, uh, again, it pl continues to play out. Al Gore calls out greenwashing risks as funds quit GFANS. Uh, this in from Pensions and Investments, PIOnline.com. Um, talking about much the same thing. Um, last week, it emerged that Wall Street heavyweights J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley were considering a possible exit. That was followed by a clarification of the GFANS criteria, giving financial firms scope to set weaker fossil fuel finance targets and ostensibly easing tensions behind the scenes. So, hey, guys, okay, we'll ease off a little. Anyway, it's funny to watch all of this play out because, I, I, yeah, I think this speaks to the fact that, again, there are multiple layers of the oligarchy, and the sort of middle layers are trying to play the game, and, oh, okay, oh, we're, we got to signal this way this week, oh, we got to say this, this is the current thing, but the people above them who are set, pulling the strings and setting the real agenda may actually be serious about this, and they may be willing to throw banks under the bus as need be. Entire banking institutions may have to go in in order to bring in the real new world order, the new world financial order. So it's funny to watch that kind of um, thing happening. But as always, as always, there is a deeper level to this. And there is skullduggery afoot, as it were. Uh, as evidence of which I will point people to Foreign Affairs, the good old CFR publication from January, February of this year, The Revolution Will Not Be Privatized by Diana Coyle, talking about the um, the fact that ESG is, uh, there's all these 
problems with it and companies are starting to try to find the loopholes and the ways out and the, oh, we can, if we're measuring this target, then we can skimp over here kind of thing. And uh, the entire point of this article is, of course, you know, corporate greedy corporate fat cats going to be greedy corporate fat cats. We can't trust them to self-police this ESG thing. What we need is, say it with me, government to step in and do the and force companies to do the things that they don't want to do. And that's, I think, ultimately where this is heading. Uh, you know, Mark Carney is trying to put together this alliance, but it's falling apart because these companies are being greedy fat cats. They're not doing it. We need government with teeth to come in and force these things into law. And that's where the next stage of this agenda will ultimately I think, be coming from. And what's the implication of that when you've got this global alliance and globally international investors and international financial entities are not cooperating? Well, that means we need some sort of global governmental structure to come in and start regulating this. Right, guys? It's the only solution to this problem. So I think we know where this is heading. And former colleagues and friends who used to be anti-corporate, anti-pharma, anti-war will help beat the drums for all of this. It is it is pretty funny, James, watching them get ensnared by their own rules. But man, it's yeah, I think it's again where it's the same batch of people that'll say, well, maybe we've got to kill a couple million people to get this new biomedical security state pushed through. Yeah, it's like them getting caught, you know, <laughs> what? Lockdowns for me, too? No, that's just for you guys. Uh, other signs, their great new world order reset is a, a little glitched, James. Uh, kind of a follow-up on the Beyond Meat story we talked about last week. As the headline, I believe from Fortune or possibly Bloomberg, it'll all be in the show notes. Once hot, fake meat sees sales slide on price and being too woke. Worldwide auditing and accounting firm Deloitte reports deteriorating perceptions regarding plant-based meat. After once enjoying double-digit growth, sales are not just flat, but declining. They're actually losing the ground that they had even gained. So, still a little bit of good news to wrap up this New World Next Week, episode 496. Still obviously getting the new studio space set up. I got the sun out of my eyes this week, though. I have... My parents visiting us here in New Mexico all next week, so I will not be live on air or available for New World next week next week. But the Media Monarchy community never closes over on Discord. You can get in at MediaMonarchy.com slash join. Our buddy Rich was wearing good little covertly. Of course, he's covering it up with his better dressed jacket and blazer. Our buddy Rich was wearing a Media Monarchy shirt on a recent episode of Grand Theft World. Benny was wearing a Media Monarchy hat on a recent Monday Memes. And you can too. Along with Corbett Report DVDs, thumb drives, digital downloads, with much, much more in the process and on the way. And that is all at NewWorldNextWeek.com. James, that is New World Next Week, episode 496. Give or take a dozen or so. How are you doing this week, Ben? Uh... Just on the note of live radio streams, I just got a, a note in from someone driving around in Hamilton, Ontario, who was tuned into 93.3 FM and heard an entire Corbett Report podcast episode played in its entirety. So, hat tip to the good folks over at CFMU, the McMaster University College Radio Station, as it were, in Hamilton, Ontario. So, great, awesome, and hey, 
anyone who wants to play my content, and I assume yours, James, please do. Absolutely. That's what it's there for. So uh, thanks for that. And uh, yeah, I think we'll be doing this again next week. Or not next week. The week after next week. We're doing it the, the week after next week, but that's man, that's fantastic. And I, of course, always say, as someone who who kind of made my bones and learned a lot of what I learned, college radio, independent commercial community radio, can still be a major source. James actually discovered there are zero radio stations registered with the FCC in my new tiny town. So hey, we we might have to be the first. I've been looking at that, and of course, they've changed changed the laws on low power FM. Over the previous decades, it's not as difficult or expensive as it used to be. I don't know that I'd make it a truther station. I, you know, I might just make it a country station. I don't know, James. I appreciate you, buddy. All right. I'm looking forward to those updates. Anyway, see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take care.